Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Corey Walsh of Fearless Sword. How are you doing, Corey? Doing great. You know, caps are sliding down and my hopes and dreams are also sliding down. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> I can I'll, I'll I'll push through. I'll do my best Mac impression here with my uh, positivity for the rest of the season. Man, oh, man. You know what? I was uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I was taking some shots over these last few games. Yeah, you guys pushed Mac to his brink. I look online <laughs> on Twitter and I just see Mac unloading the clip <laughs> at a bunch of people on Twitter. Yeah, I had to stop myself before I reloaded <laughs> and uh, and went back out there for another round. But no, it was just a couple of things that set me off over the edge. But we're not going to get into that. You know, I'm a positive dude. And this season in itself you know you can you can honestly look at it in two different ways the micro approach as we often talk about and the macro view so whatever you choose to do um you know it's completely up to the individual but i will say this it's possible to do both um and i think you had tweeted out earlier about you know it was a very positive tweet Uh, i'm trying to figure out what exact i can't remember exactly the wording of it but it was it was definitely something along the lines of actually why don't you go ahead and tell them what you said I pretty much had I, I also don't remember the exact wording, but oh, it was man. it was you, pretty much you, along the can't lines. Even save me. <laughs> I it was pretty much along the lines of like, can we just as Cavs fans take a step back and there enjoy the out like enjoy the fun that this season has been, regardless of the outcome? Cause we all like we all know this season is crashing and burning in front of our very eyes in this last stretch of the season, which I I like to think that at least 75% of the team's faults to this point towards the back half are due to injuries. But we also can't say that like 25% of it isn't the execution or lack thereof that this team has been having against team and very winnable games. (laughs) Most specifically that comes to mind are the Atlanta and Orlando games are probably the two most aggravating losses that we've endured in this stretch. Otherwise they were like, you would could have, like you can always chalk up losses against quality teams as, Hey, they were the better team that night. But I Atlanta was a struggling team for the majority of the season. And now they're coming in hot towards like at the right time and towards the postseason. And Orlando was really just begging for anyone to make their lottery odds better. <laughs> and the, the cows are really just ignoring that. And, hold up there the <laughs> and then freaking Braz Dacus has another great night against the Cavs. And you know what? Good for you, Braz Dacus. But I don't think I'm going to be telling my kids like 10 years from now about the Orlando Magic. Great Braz Dacus. Well, I kind of, you know, that's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about in regards to, you know, the Cavaliers really primarily, you know, the worst thing about that Orlando game. So I'll go ahead and jump right into it. I put together this little video for you guys. Go ahead and enjoy Folks to the foul line. Bamba open again. Good again. This is Brzezakis. Okiki. Corner. Good for three. Oh, great job. What a nice job by Chuma Okiki. First guy down the floor, though. No complaining. Just get it back and play some defense. That young man can shoot the ball. <laughs> Razzle dazzle between his legs on that outlet pass. Bryce gives it up to Kennedy Devon to Bamba. Now Okiki, oh a long tip. Oh, Wagner driving on Rondo. Fires the pass to Kennedy. No one near, and he drills it for three. 
Did you notice a common theme in said video, Corey? Uh, I noticed a common lack of defensive awareness slash effort, especially from the corner threes. <sighs> there Which was has been no... a very recurring trend for this defense in the last few weeks. And it had like that Knicks game kind of felt like that our effort was revitalized and we really got our bark back pretty much. And that magic game really took the air out of the sails. There was literally no attempt to close out on that three point line. (laughs) It was absolutely atrocious. And I know a lot of people are pointing the finger at Kevin love, like motherfucker, you better get out there. Like just somebody I've seen DG kind of push people from time to time. Have you seen that? Yeah, which is nice. Like you want to have someone to kind of like kick you in the ass, being like, "Hey, like I noticed you're you did literally that to Moses being a, a zero. few games ago." I was like, "Okay, okay, DG, I can respect it." <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that, well, obviously this team respects DG so much. Uh, he's like the leader of the team in a way. We, I know, I always say that Lamar is like the emotional leader of the team because he kind of sets the tone. But DG is like the voice of this team for sure. Like everyone rides or dies with what DG wants them to do. Yeah, I mean, and that just goes to show how much further he's developed as a leader, you know, not only on the court, but off the court as well. These guys really seem like they love playing with one another. And I think DG plays a huge part in getting everybody to gel. It's not just playmaking out there. Yeah, not to like ruffle feathers here, but like, you know how we always wonder how Sexton and Garland are going to work when they're together, but. Like, there's no way that Sexton was going to be the leader of this team because it seems like Sexton is a player that kind of has, like, has divides a locker room kind of because people love his passion and his intensity. But we've also seen various reports throughout his time in Cleveland of other players not necessarily enjoying Colin kind of being the face and the leader of the team. And I think with Darius stepping into this role, that's actually going to help Colin a lot because now Colin doesn't have to feel like he has to set the tone. He could kind of just do what Colin wants to do. and doesn't have to necessarily worry about what anyone else wants him to do. I mean, that's very eloquently put. Um, I honestly do not know what the dynamic is going to be there. I think a lot of people, a lot of people made a big deal about DG needing to step up, you know, in that regard and fill in that leadership void because this team didn't really have too much better in voice outside of Kevin Love. And I guess you can include Ed Davis in that a few others. <laughs> <laughs> shots but, fired at ed come on man <laughs> i mean i mean you you like your veteran leadership to be like on the court most of the time too right <laughs> i mean that's not a shot at it <laughs> i like my leaders to play <laughs> lead by example not sit on a chair ed come on <laughs> exactly exactly ed's doing uh, his best udonis haslam impression come on man <laughs> look that guy's a legend okay he's legend <laughs> Cavs legend Cavs culture. <laughs> exactly. There's a mere effect going on here. Uh, with that said, yeah, Sexton, you just, you, I don't really know what's going to happen in regards to the, how that dynamic will work. But I do think, as you alluded to, I think that this makes it a little bit easier on him to just go out there and play ball when he gets back. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing for both parties involved because like you kind of just want Colin to gel with the way the team's built. And if Darius can just like stay in this alpha role and let 
calling like alpha in the sense of a leader, not necessarily like that. He has to have the scoring load all the time, although it'd be nice, but I, I kind of feel like when Colin comes back, it's going to kind of be like a give and take between the two of them in terms of like, who's like the leading scorer. I think it's going to be very balanced. I know people like to say like, Oh, well, when Colin comes back, you better, better get ready to be second banana to Darius or vice versa. And I feel like it's kind of like they'll, they'll gel in a way that I don't think a lot of people are kind of anticipating. I think they kind of see like you're either on one side or the other. There's no reason why they can't function like a Dame and CJ. Um, you know, th- there's no reason why that can't happen. And whether or not you want to speculate on who's Dame and who's CJ, that's up to you. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a now they beholder type of thing. We are <laughs> uh, not going to engage. <laughs> nope, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole, but I will say that it makes things a lot easier on Sexton. Uh, you know, when he upon returning due to that leadership role that DG is now filling, and he's doing that both on and off the court. I mean, you've seen just how much he's grown this season. And you know, one thing that I wanted to talk about in regards to him is what you think his best attribute is. Like, I know a lot of people, I've, I've seen people give me kind of like the cop out answer of, well, he's well rounded, he does everything well. Uh, you know, especially on the offensive side of the ball but i want to hear it from you what do you think dg's best attribute is i think his what's the best part of his game i think the thing that stands out to me and it kind of stood out immediately with darius is that his way to or his ability to orchestrate the offense is just so at such an elite level the way that he can create opportunities for other players he feels like he's now developed into a player that truly raises the ceiling of every player that's on the court with him and I know like coming into this year, we were all like hoping that Darius was going to be a much more aggressive offensive shooter because that would only further help other players around him by the defenses needing to respect the gravity that we were hoping he would provide. And I think that he just like, yes, he has become infinitely more aggressive offensively and it has allowed him to take this next leap. But I think his always his strength has been his passing and his court vision. And he does have some of the nicest passes in the league at times. And would you consider I, him an elite playmaker? Yeah, I would I definitely would consider him in that elite tier. Like I, I think I've I've said it before, but like I feel like he has like a Chris Paul type trajectory in my mind with the way that he plays. Like he doesn't necessarily have to like I think when that's why I'm saying when I think Colin comes back, I'm not expecting him to be the I'm gonna drop twenty-five and like nine like every night pretty much. <laughs> I would be very comfortable with Darius becoming like a like a twenty and ten pretty much or like an 18 and 10 even because like, I feel like oh, yeah. he just has such a command of the offense in general. And I, I can't stress enough, like how I, I say that I've said this, I feel like for the entire season, but Darius literally carries this team on his back in so many different ways. No intended. Yeah. Yeah, his sore back that gets hurt after a, a crafty layup 90% of the time. But yeah, his orchestrating to me is just insane. And his vision has been, he has like his, it's not even like he just does traditional passes. Like he's done some creative passes at times that like, uh, this was LaMelo ball. People would just be like, in a like have to like restrain themselves from going on Twitter and be like, Oh my God, this pass. Yeah. Is he's got like, he's got some crazy touch, man. And he just sees different angles very clearly. Yeah, like the one pass recently that really uh, stands out to me was that touch pass he quickly did to Moses Brown. I believe that was against the Knicks, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was like 
you have to think like two steps ahead of everyone else. And that's like what elite pass uh, elite playmaking is in the NBA. It's not seeing like knowing a scripted play is going to work a certain way. It's all about anticipation and kind of like knowing how your teammates operate. That's what separates elite playmakers from just like good, like secondary playmakers. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we both saw the video that, uh, that Kyle uh, Mann put out there, I believe, from The Ringer. That was excellent, uh, by the way, and I know that everybody's talking about it. Uh, but one of the biggest things that I took away from it was exactly how he broke down, you know, the playmaking. Um, if you really just watch a lot of what DG has been able to do this season, man, he really has developed some patience. I mean, he, he he's definitely probing defenses, um, you know, if he's not able to hit – guys on the lob especially now with jared and evan out of the lineup and we got some positive news on mobley um that we'll talk about here in a little bit but man he's he's just patient and he's developed an ability to probe defenses whether that be to you know draw extra attention to himself and then kick it out Um, and, and he's really good at some of these swing passes too he's got some really good head fakes so yeah it's, he, it's just yeah. I was going to say his jittery motion has like, he has like that, like you said, so that quick little twitch. quick twitch, that yeah. twitch and like just slight head movement. He just knows how to like use his body in ways that just can fake defenders out so easily. It's, it's honestly so awesome to watch. <laughs> like I love just watching him to further develop into this like amazing player. I feel like I'm just speaking in such generalities when it comes to him, but I, <laughs> I just feel like I'm like fanboying over Darius Garland right now. So, okay. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to not do that. So I got a serious question in regards to DG that um, I kind of saw on Twitter the other day. You know how Cavs Twitter can be. Um, (laughs) So I I, I just I thought it would be an interesting exercise. I wanted to ask, do you think that Darius Garland has peaked? Oh, my God. (laughs) Mac, way to just pop the balloon. (laughs) Uh, It's a serious question. Let me just give you this real quick. 21.7 points, 3.4 rebounds, 8.7 assists on the season, shooting 46.1% from the field, 38% from three, 89% from the free throw line. He is very close to a 50-40-90 season. And I'm sure you saw this the other day. He's actually done better in his year three than Mark Price did in his year three and at a younger age, 22 as opposed to 25. Mark Price did do 50, 40, 90, though. <laughs> Very I, uh, guy. So if I had to say if Darius has peaked, I feel like statistically, no, he can definitely become a better player overall. And the reason I'm not saying I think he can become an even better player because I feel like skill-wise, he's probably where I think he could be in his prime. But when the T the Cavs team is like fully healthy and fully reloaded with like good weapons around him, he statistically could become even better because the defenses will then have to respect other players, which will allow him to have infinitely more breathing room right now. Defenses know exactly how this Cavs offense is going to work. It's like, if we can just get in Darius Garland's headspace and just be in his grill the whole game, like he's going to become a way less efficient player. And I think when Darius Garland can find that balance of efficiency with his talent, he's going to, he could easily, I could, there, there could be easily be a season in Darius Garland's career where he scores like an efficient 25 points a game. In my opinion, is I think that with Sexton has- on the roster though. And with like upper development of Evan Mobley, cause you got to think that Mobley's probably going to take another leap in regards to scoring production himself. 
Yeah, I think, but we've seen p- tandems and like trios of players play very efficiently together. I mean, if you're a talented offensive scorer, you're going to get your buckets no matter what we've seen. I mean, I know the Nets team was like a hypothetical, but even when they were like kind of operating on all cylinders, the three of them were able to find like offenses can easily f- generate points for their best players. It's not going to necessarily be a struggle. It should only be easier when you're surrounded by more talent, as long as you're all unselfish. And I know, I feel like Darius Garland is an unselfish player and Very. I believe Colin Sexton can be an unselfish player as well and we all know Evan Mobley is also a very go with the flow type player so I think there's an easy recipe in here for Darius to reach a further potential and like a new ceiling as a player I just don't know if it's going to be in terms of like him developing into something else because I feel like right now he's like he's developed into a very very good player I think it could like there obviously it could be like small improvements maybe like a little more efficient from three, but like, again, I think it's all about spacing and I think his spacing is so cramped right now. I mean, yeah, there's no debating that. Um, especially when you're working with the starting unit that he is, uh, there's just so many areas of need in regards to what the Cavs are working with right now. Um, let me ask you this as well. Would you be okay if you never saw, like if this was the best that you got out of Darius Garland, like there was no, no true development past this season. Are you, uh, well, if this, if it stays at this level, then yes. But if I, if there's going to be like a regression, then probably not because (laughs) I feel like, you know, I think he is so integral and like, he is tied to these wins for this Cavs team this season. Like, I think we win a majority of our games solely off of Darius Garland performances. And if he's going to regress, then the other parts of the team are going to have to step up in a a pretty big way, the same way that he has to carry the load this year. So it's kind of like a give and take, I think with Darius and like the relationship to wins with this Cavaliers team. Cause if Darius was like 75% of the player he was this year, this is a lottery team easily in my opinion. How much of his statistical success is due in part to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley's presence? I feel like that's kind of like a tricky thing because Darius is scoring. I feel like he scores more when he feels like the burden is in it, like is the biggest, like he feels like the weights, like the most on him to score. I think when, like you saw in the earlier parts of like, you know how like every after, like during every game, they keep showing the month by month splits for Darius. Every time, like you see, you can kind of track the Cavs injuries by those splits because he was starting the season at like, 14 a game and then they always love to point out that in february he was scoring like 25 a game and what happened in february oh like 90 percent of our players went down (laughs) or like when ricky went down his scoring then took a massive uptick again and then when colin went down it took an uptick like you could kind of just track how he feels yeah you can and i think if he regresses it just means the team's healthier and i would hope that also means that the offense is more free flowing than having to solely rely on darius i'd rather darius also be a luxury to this cavs team more than a necessity in order for us to win because that's the sign of a really healthy team well, that is completely fair i think when it comes to darius garland for me i don't think anybody truly expected a breakout like this this season i know i certainly didn't i thought that you know um he'd take a marginal and have a marginal improvement i think he was at what 17.4 points a game last season with right around seven assists six seven assists yeah 
So that was because of a really hot last two months of the season too. Like he was kind of struggling at parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, there was a president there for him to actually be able to go out there and, you know, showcase this type of ability, but I just did not see it happen, especially with the, the upgraded roster around him. Um, Ricky Rubio coming to town, Larry Markinen, I really had no idea, you know, what he would do. And, and then to get the knowledge that he would be starting, I was like, okay, that's more points. That's, uh, <laughs> the DG is probably not going to be able to add to his game. And then who the hell knew that Jared Allen was going to take off the way he did. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I didn't expect it. So this season has just been amazing in that in that regard. And that, that's one of the biggest positives is, is just like the individual growth from a lot of these guys on the roster. Um, that being said, man, if, if DG never takes like another step forward in regards to development and regression only takes place, like you said, just because other guys are stepping up or, you know, there's just more more wealth to spread around, you know, because the ball, there's only so many possessions. Um, if this is the best version of DG that we get, I'm okay, you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if, right now. Yeah, I feel like if DG like this is his plateau as a mm-hmm. player, then you would just say like he's Cleveland's Mike Conley, in my opinion. Like oh, he's yeah. just gonna be like a stalwart of this team for ye- many years to come. He's not necessarily gonna take that next step into superstardom, but he'll be a star for this team for such a long time. Like maybe he's not the alpha of this team in terms of like who they rely on in playoff games, it, but he could always be the B option of this team. Like I think he'll always be like at worst, he will be the sidekick of a two. playoff team. Yeah. Do, do you think that there is a like a, a superstar candidate? on this Cavs roster right now? I feel like everyone will say it's Evan Mobley, and I would mm-hmm. like to say that too, but I on, I just don't know what I see Evan Mobley turning into, and I think that really just depends on like how this summer goes. Like, like I think obviously he'll be like a defensive like stalwart of this team mm-hmm. for such a long time, but offensively is where he's still kind of a wild card. Like you just want to see, like you don't know which way they're, the Cavs are going to skew his development. Are they going to try to get him to become more of a jump shooter, or are they going to like ask him to kind of bulk up a little bit and try to play more inside because he has like touch for sure. It's just like, you really don't know which direction this Cavs team wants to take him in. Yeah. I mean, I I think that it would be nice to say that you want them to meet in the middle somewhere in regards to that. I just don't know how feasible that is, especially when you still have Jared Allen on the roster. Um, Rebounding is one of the biggest areas that I like to see him, you know, kind of, uh, you know, tend to in this offseason. I get that some of that is due to the fact that you do have a guy like Jared Allen who's in there snagging those boards when he is healthy. And then when we did see Evan Mobley move to the center position, he looked just fine as a rebounder. Uh, but at his size, playing the power forward position for however long he will be, um, that's one of the areas of growth from him. But for right now, I mean, it's it really, like you said, it's tough to say whether or not he he has like true superstar written all over him. Um, and for the rest of the Cavs, I guess the only other guy that I could really see that, and I know a lot of people are probably going to kill me for saying this, I still can see Colin Sexton becoming a superstar. Um, I still see that in his game. We saw it last season, man. Guys just don't roll out of bed and score 24, what is it, 24.3 points per game. And I get that a lot of people are saying that, you know, that a lot of that came with the bench and in fourth quarters and there's inflated stats involved with that. Whatever. We're seeing some of those same things from Darius Garland this season, right? Especially with him having to carry so much of the load offensively. 
But if there's one guy, in my opinion, that still has superstar um, capabilities, it is Colin Sexton. I thought you were going to try to sell me on Lamar Stevens being a superstar. <laughs> no, I was going to hit you with that old Dean Wade. <laughs> oh, well, uh, I mean, we have to. I mean, we. I, it's been like what, like five episodes since we said we are the official Dean Wade podcast. <laughs> Dean Wade ain't showing us no love, man. I've tried to reach out to dude like 15 million times and he <laughs> hadn't said nothing. He hadn't even read the message. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, t- do us a favor and spam Dean Wade's Twitter, ask telling him you want to hear him on the It's Cavalier podcast. Yes, exactly. We'd appreciate it. We uh, we consider ourselves <laughs> very, very big fans of Dean Wade, and we would love to talk to him. So if you know him, put in a good word for us. <laughs> Dean uh, Hive, assemble. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a great segue into the next uh, next topic, man. Like I I saw this on uh, Caps Twitter earlier by Braden Ball, and you know him mm-hmm. well, right? Yeah, one of the best guys on Caps Twitter in regards to content, uh, but. You know, one of the things that he put out there was to rank the wing players on the Cavs roster, uh, roster from best to worst. And so, obviously, the guys available that you have on that, Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osmond, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Dylan Willer. Give me your one through five. I think this is unfair after we just talk, called ourselves the official Dean Wade podcast. <laughs> you kind of are putting me into a corner here. You just want me to, like, put Dean at the top. Uh no, yeah. So, like, this question could be taken a lot of ways, like, in terms of, like, what the ceiling is. I feel like it's still a Coro has the highest oh, ceiling. No, take ceiling out of it. Give me, like, right now, right in this moment, who, give me your one through five. Oh, my God. This is, I, I feel like this might ruffle some feathers. It might. That's good for the show. Go ahead. I, uh, I'm going to jump I, in your DMs. I fully support that. <laughs> I, I'm going to say it. I think Lamar Stevens might be the best forward we have on this team right now. Okay, yeah, you're definitely ruffling some feathers. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll hold my, my commentary. I Go think ahead. Lamar Stevens' past month has honestly astounded me. Like he has really changed my perception of him in this past month. He has become infinitely more aggressive offensively. He, I, I kind of been hinting at it throughout the season that I kind of wish Okoro had the same aggression offensively that uh lamar stevens does like because lamar just shoots it with confidence i feel like all the time he no longer has the fear of being yanked and isaac doesn't really have that either but you can cut like we saw we thought we were seeing a stretch with isaac starting in that philly game where he was going to become in like a more aggressive player especially in transition he had a lot more free throw attempts his race were going up he's a good three-point shooter but i'm not saying in a postseason game i want a coro to be benched for lamar stevens but if i had to like power rank right now who i think has been playing the best i i definitely would say it's lamar right now it's definitely my number one and then i would and then then i'd probably go i'll just go i'll go speed round through the rest of them i'll go i'd say it's a coro jetty dean wade windler last (laughs) okay so you have go ahead give me that one more time lamar a coro jetty wade windler Okay, so we we agree on on a lot of that list. I mean, obviously, there's no way you can't not put Dylan Windler as your last guy on here as much. It as hurt I me was. to say it. <laughs> Damn, Hypothetical Dylan. Dylan Windler, at least number four. <laughs> if you shot the ball, Dylan, Mr. Windler, if you shot the ball, I would probably put you at four. Uh, wow. Just because I feel like he, he he has defensive potential. He can rebound. We saw that at Belmont. We've seen that a few of these last few games before he got yanked again in the favor of Jetty. 
but he just doesn't shoot the ball even when he has the opportunity to. I'll tell you what, Dylan Windler better hope we don't miss the the play or the playoffs because that lottery pick's definitely going to be used on his spot. Replacement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it damn well could be. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think we agree on most of that list. What I had myself was Isaac Okoro because I still feel like at number one, he his defensive capabilities, his ability to be a lockdown defender outweighs what Really, I, I, in my opinion, this is my opinion, it outweighs what anybody else can bring alone just based off of that. And I feel like his offense is still burgeoning, but I I would be remiss to say that I, I am okay with what he is doing when he's not averaging <laughs> double-digit points in numerous games. And that, that's really starting to hurt. Uh, we do need some more production from him in that regard. Uh, at number two, I got Jetty. And I guess since you speed around this, I will, and then we'll hold, uh, and we'll, we'll comment on it at the end. Lamar Stevens at three, Dean Wade at four, and obviously, like I said again, Dylan Willer at five. So, what are your thoughts on that? I I really I agree with you. I saw your list earlier in the day, and I I think it's a good like I have I know I'm on an island for thinking Lamar has just been playing out of his mind. I think I'm just infatuated no, with the way you, that Lamar has been playing. You're I, I love Isaac Okoro. I don't want this to ever be Isaac Okoro slander. You you know as well as I do that I love what Isaac Okoro brings to the table, and I don't need him to be an offensive like firepower to in order for me to justify him being in the starting lineup. This is just more me wanting to give Lamar his flowers because you know what? Okay. God damn it. You can give him as many chains <laughs> as you want in the postseason games, but that dude needs some respect. <laughs> He does. Yeah. The junkyard dog award sometimes just isn't enough. And for you listeners out there, I just want you to keep this in mind really since March 4th or, you know, if you want to go back even further than that over Lamar Stevens last 17 games, he's averaging nine and a half points, 3.9 rebounds and assists. And he's, he's been playing pretty consistent basketball. He is not afraid to take the three ball, although he's not going to convert those at a high rate. I still love to see the aggression from him combined with what he does on the defensive end. And so if you had one argument um, in regards to Lamar over Isaac, that would be it right there, right? The consistency on offense. Yeah. And you could honestly make an argument that over the past month, he's been our most consistent bench player. Like I know we both love what Kevin love brings game Mm -hmm. to game, but we both know he's a hot and cold player at various times throughout the season. And JB's not afraid to pull him out because like if he isn't hitting the threes and then we all know, I know everyone loves to point out that Kevin love doesn't play defense. You know what? You can play it out as many times as you want, but we didn't ever draft. We didn't trade for Kevin love thinking that he was going to be this defensive anchor that we were going to rely on game in and game out. That certainly isn't going to change in his mid thirties as he transitions. Yeah, into- and apparently he has no plans on retiring anytime soon. So get good. Used to- <laughs> That's fine with me. I'm tired of everyone trying to ship out Kevin. I'm talking to you, Braden. I know we just brought you up like a minute ago. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't agree in that regard. Uh, you know, if that's what was said, I'll, all I'll say is this. Um, I hope that Kevin love, if he decides that he conti- wants to continue playing basketball, that he continues to play in Cleveland for a cheaper, much cheaper amount than he's playing for right now. I'm backing up the Brink truck for Kevin to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're giving up the Brink truck. Uh, okay. Um, no, it's it is Lamar. what it is. 
that dude's going to get paid whenever the time comes. I think the Cavs have him under contract for at least two more seasons. Yeah, it's um, a very uh, affordable deal, <laughs> to say the least. He's not getting paid very lu- luxuriously. He's going to be looking to get paid when the time comes, and I'm not sure Cleveland will be that team. Uh, it really just depends upon how things go because the, they have so many different questions in regards to the wing spots and whatnot. So, well, Mac, you know, a championship changes things. And when Lamar has one, it's going to be pretty hard. <laughs> Teams are going to want to pry him from us. Are you <laughs> also you're predicting, you're, you're, you're predicting championship in what in the next two to three seasons? I'm just putting out into the world. You know, you put out. Yeah, you put out good vibes. They'll come back to you. Okay, I can take it. You know me, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to oppose? No, I think. <laughs> You know, I mean, I was screaming this from the damn rooftops this season. Uh, although a lot of people joked about it. If this Cavs team is healthy, they're an Eastern Conference contender. And I know a lot of people do not agree with that. I know a lot of people do not believe they're truly title worthy. But you give me a healthy Colin Sexton. Ricky Rubio never goes down. This is a Eastern Conference, like a serious Eastern Conference contender. They may not have won the championship this season, which is more likely, obviously, but I definitely think they could have made it to the um, championship round in the East. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think earlier in the year we were talking about the East as if it was this gauntlet of a bunch of ferocious teams. But I think as the season's gone on, at least in my opinion, I don't know how you feel, Mac, but I kind of feel like the East has been segmented into just the Bucks are like the only elite team I kind of see in the uh, the East these days. And then I would probably break it into the Nets or not the Nets. I'd break it into the Celtics and the Heat, and then it kind of just turns into everyone else can just it's like the so, Celt the Nets and the Sixers are kind of like in like wild card range for me right now. And the Raptors, so you honestly. have you have Milwaukee in a tier unto themselves, right? Is that what you're yeah. saying? And then you have Boston and Miami and that next tier. And then you you wouldn't include Brooklyn in that like in that area because I feel like if Kyrie had played the whole season, <clears throat> they would definitely be considered to be up there, at least in the upper echelon of the East. Well, my opinion of the Nets isn't based on Kevin and Kyrie and even how much they've been playing or not been playing. It's more that their complementary cast is not going to allow them to play very efficient postseason basketball. It just has to be shootouts for them. It seems like every game and their best they're like, they don't really have any defensive aces on that team. I mean, I love Bruce Brown as much as the next guy, but (laughs) if they're going to like look at Bruce Brown and be like, all right, this is your time, Bruce, <laughs> the, or the corpse of Blake Griffin or Pat. What, you don't you don't like Andre Drummond? You don't like Cavs legend Andre Drummond coming out? I've there. watched Andre Drummond for a while, and uh, I never have considered him a defensive savant, <laughs> to say the least. Oh man! Well, then it's all up to KD. KD's got to play one through five, defend one through five. I I feel like. It really, it's gonna be so situational for who the Nets yeah. end up g- going up against. If they, I think, is is Miami still the one seed right now in the East? I would have to double check. I haven't. I mean, I had standings watch today. You know, I do that every single morning. But it's just, I, I hate looking at it myself. And a lot of people are like, "Well, dude, stop posting these. Stop making <laughs> me feel good." I don't give a damn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing it just because it's a nice little reminder of what. Yeah, they're still the number one seed, fifty two and twenty eight. Yeah, I'm so. I know every Cavs fan is hoping that we have the seventh seed just so we have home field uh, or home court advantage Mm -hmm. in the play in game. 
I'm also hoping we're the seventh seed because if we match up against Boston, that means somehow I'm locking myself into going to one Cavs postseason game this year. So, so that would be nice for me. This is the assumption that they get past the play in so that they beat Brooklyn. If everything stays the same, you're assuming that they're going to be able to get past Brooklyn. Until they lose to Brooklyn, I'm going to assume they're going to beat Brooklyn. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you're a man of confidence tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and roll into this next segment. Then we got news, positive news broken by, I believe, our good friend Evan Damrell. Evan Mobley could potentially suit up tomorrow against Brooklyn. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Would you rather see him sit and just kind of rest up? Because the Cavs are already locked in for a play uh, a play in game. I'd like to see him have a tune up more than necessarily being like, all right, Evan, welcome back. Here's 40 minutes of game action. But, and we'll see but how does you that, do Does that have to come against Brooklyn? That's, I guess that's my question. Cause you know, they have Milwaukee on Sunday. Could you see them? Like, <laughs> would you be okay if he sat against Brooklyn, but played against Milwaukee just to give him a few more days? Mac, that's like the equivalent of asking, would you like Evan Mobley to get stabbed or shot? <laughs> because those are two like <laughs> terrible options for what is this. It's not like we're playing against like Detroit or like the Magic. It's, it's like, oh, would you rather play days, one bro. good? Do you want to play your matchup against KD or do you want him to match up against Giannis? You decide. It's extra days <laughs> of rest. And maybe, who knows? Who the hell knows? Maybe we could see Jared Allen by then too. I mean, <laughs> it's Sunday. We're talking Sunday here. He's so. got Laurie on his back line. He, okay. he knows Laurie's going to play great defense because that's Fair what enough. Laurie brings to the table. No, okay, so I, give me your strength. I, <laughs> I think that Mobley should probably play like 20 minutes in that Brooklyn game. Kind of get his feel back with Darius kind of get his sent. Hopefully they kind of reintegrate him into this zone defense. They love sending him out and playing free safety, kind of running around. And then I wouldn't do any more than that. Like, I don't care how competitive the game gets because what, even if we win this game, it doesn't mean that he's going to be in a good state for the next few games just because we won this. Cause like you, there is validity to what you said, where like you don't want to really burn him out in a game where we really don't have to. So I would rather just use it as an opportunity to reintegrate him into the team and just leave it at that. Like, let's just face it. We can go. zero and two we're playing in the play in regardless. So, yeah. And uh, another good friend of the podcast, Justin Rowan, you know, he posted this when I tweeted this earlier, rather. And I think it still holds true. So the possible playoff or play in game, I keep fucking that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, possible play in scenarios for the Cavs win versus Brooklyn, loss versus Milwaukee. The worst case is the A seed if Brooklyn and Atlanta went out. So we lose both of these next two games. The worst case is 10th. Chicago wins out, best case eight, if Atlanta loses out and Chicago loses versus Orlando, Chicago, or Washington. And you know what my takeaway from this is? I I'd love to know. Tiebreakers. <laughs> yeah. I hate tiebreakers. I hate this shit. <laughs> no, this is <laughs> awesome. Too much. It's too I love much this. to keep up with, man. Like um obviously we're we're positive in the fact that they got the play in game. They have that locked in. They're going to be experiencing that. That's a, that's a positive experience within itself, but matchups do matter. And, um, you know, I guess this goes right in line with the thought process of should Evan Mobley really be playing against Brooklyn or not, but it does help. If you win this game against Brooklyn, um, it helps. So, I mean, do the, do they really need to do everything they can, everything possible to win against Brooklyn? Well, 
this is um this is quite timely because I before as we were recording this, the Celtics and Bucks were playing each other, and the Bucks won, which vaults them into the two seed. So, if the Cavs really want to do a uh, a solid to themselves and really want to give themselves a little more oomph in their step, uh, I would suggest beating. <laughs> the uh the bucks on sunday just a suggestion because, yeah because uh you'll be playing them <laughs> as they'll be the seventh uh the two seed um i'd rather not play the bucks at any mm-hmm. point in the season because that's a mm-hmm. i i you know i love the Cavs. i i we preach positivity on this podcast our season's over <laughs> i want to see the, damn the champs <laughs> i want to see the champs in the seven game series and it's very possible you know what we're going to learn from that book series? Giannis is really good, and we don't really have an answer. That's all you're really going to pick up from that series. End. Roll credits. There you go. Yep. It's been a <laughs> – and thanks for the season, guys. And then it'll just – credits just fly. Pack it in. Exactly. Yep. Star Wars style. <laughs> Across the top of the scene. Uh, the top of the sky. Oh, that said, man, I just – it's it's been an incredible season. However it ends, it – is it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. But you're going to have like knee jerk reactions if the Cavs end up losing to Brooklyn. Uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to, the fires are going to come out. Um, it, it'll be the end of the world. So it you, already you know how it is. <laughs> the, the sky was burning in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. And just, just kind of looking at, you know, the, uh, the, the start time of this game, I'm going to be scoreboard watching other teams all night i feel like just to kind of see how things shake out here um but i do honestly i, I honestly feel really good against brooklyn at least before the playing starts this last brooklyn, regular in season my mind, is infinitely more winnable than milwaukee just because you can you know you can score on them and mm-hmm. milwaukee i don't feel remotely as confident <laughs> in the slightest indeed i mean like you, especially if Mobley is back, um, and you never know, maybe we'll get some special news about Jared Allen between now and tomorrow. I doubt it, but anything's possible. But if you have size, you really do have a size advantage on, on uh, I was going to say Milwaukee, geez. You do have a size <laughs> advantage on Brooklyn if you get one or both of those guys back. So we'll have to see what happens. Prayer is up for Moses Brown. It could be a long day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even want to speculate on that. That just, I guess that's a perfect way to kind of close things out here. I did not want to talk anymore about that Orlando game, but I forgot <laughs> to mention this earlier because Moses Brown has been picked apart in that regard um, by stretch, stretch bigs, you know, whether it be a stretch four or stretch five. Um, perfect example of that. Mo Bamba, five of nine from three-point range in that game against Orlando. So I did want to ask you this, uh, just because purely looking at the statistical side of things in that game, they allowed the Magic to shoot 45.7% from three-point range. And Cavs weren't even that – they were not bad at all themselves. They were 44.4. So both teams shot very well. But my question to you, my friend, before we head out of here is, did Orlando just get hot? Or was that like, is that seriously a microcosm of Cleveland's defense, their inability to close out? I think it's very easy to shoot efficiently from three when the effort is lacking. You kind of just feel like <laughs> you're doing uh, warm up jumpers. And that's kind of what it kind of felt like. Half, like yeah, halftime. I feel like this team just got off the plane with like the mentality of like, we're hot shit. We're a really good team. We're, we're not a magic. Playing. 
we're not a basement dweller anymore, so we should be able to just kick the shit out of the magic without even trying. And then the magic, like the Cavs were, this was what the Cavs team was last year. Like we were trying to be a feisty team that was trying to ruin like seeding for other teams. Hence the Brooklyn game last season when Colin went off. Yeah. I mean, why, why did we think that just because it wasn't the Cavaliers that we were playing against that other teams weren't going to wake up being like, you know what? We have pride. I think a lot of people forget and maybe even some players forget that like bad teams, players on those teams who are on like one year contracts, this is their resume. I know the team is trying to lose, but individual players are trying to have the best game possible. So if you're leaving them open, they're going to be like, oh man, this is going to make me look really good for a potential negotiation of my next contract. Mo yeah. Bamba is going to send a nice letter to the Cavaliers organization being like, thanks for letting the Kings see my tape and offering me a max contract solely off of how I played last night. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it wasn't just, honestly, it was not just from the three-point line. Like, defensive effort was lacking everywhere. Like, I can't tell you how many times. And, you know, I love this guy, Markel Fultz. Um, I'm very, very glad he's back in basketball and he looks to have confidence again. And his shot isn't terrible anymore. Um, he consistently backed Darius down um, and, and, and took some pretty wide-open shots himself. Uh, it, they were just able to get in the paint whenever they wanted to, it seemed like. And they were very opportunistic rebounding the ball. Like one of those final possessions, nobody boxed out. And I forget who got the rebound. It might have been Brestakis. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I honestly can't remember who got that, but I know that they didn't do a, a good enough job boxing out. And I know a lot of that has to do with personnel. Um, you can't really expect – uh, some of these guys out here to do something that they've probably never truly had to focus on doing, but it was, it was very lackadaisical and it wasn't an encouraging thing to see. Yeah. I was going to say off personnel, your, your point about personnel, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to be a good defense when your three bigs consist of Lori, Kevin and Moses Brown, who all collectively <laughs> have like no defensive awareness whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, man, we said this earlier. And, and when it gets to a point of Darius Garland having literally to push you, Moses Brown, a seven-footer out to defend, you got problems. <laughs> you got defensive problems. It's not that like any of these players lack energy either. It's just they use it selectively on That's offense. That's a great – that is a very great way, a very apt way to put that just because you see it. I mean, the guy – and I think you said this earlier, the guy who has by far the most energy on this Cavs team to me is Lamar Stevens. Um, he really shows up whenever you need him to, but there's only so much he can do. Can it, You can't ask everybody to do that. I mean, you saw that highlight video, that negative highlights. Of <laughs> low lights. Kevin Love. Yes, low lights. There you go. You saw how many of those involved Kevin Love. <laughs> you just I pretended I did it, everybody. if I'm being honest. <laughs> Well, there you go. There you have it. Most Caps fans are too now. Probably just tuning it out. <laughs> My blinders are on when it comes to Kevin. <laughs> terrible. Absolutely terrible. I'm part we of the problem. We do hope you win sixth man of the year, though, right? Yes. The, let the word keep spreading. <laughs> yeah. Um, anytime. It was the athletic, right? Anytime yep. the athletic gets old or something like that, and you have somebody like, I think it was John Hollinger, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, then it, it warrants some merit and warrants some consideration just because he's not going to put up flashy stats, but he is impactful. 
Yeah, I mean, and he's not Tyler Hero, so that's great. <laughs> exactly. And with that said, that name drop, we can go ahead and end tonight's episode. Like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review wherever, whatever medium you're listening or viewing on. Send that to It's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and we will personally invite you to that. Go Cavs.